All right. Appreciate you all getting back. We're going to cover a chapter in the Old Testament. That might take most of the time. I want to get you out before 1230. <laughs> I appreciate your support when I teach, and I think anybody that teaches, whether they're teaching or preaching, because last week it was a real struggle preparing a message. A lot of battle, spiritual battle going on. I appreciate your prayers. I know everybody that does teach or preach, we need your prayers because when we study the Word, anyone that that has taught or preached, it's a great battle goes on because Satan doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to believe anything but the Word. And so, again, I appreciate your patience uh, with me last week and I'm thankful we have the body of Christ and that we have each other to lean on and when things are a challenge that we pray for each other. I don't know if anybody else has ever had that experience, but sometimes it's hard to pray. And when you have your fellow believers praying for you, you can tell. We need each other. And uh, I need you guys. And uh, it's always a, a privilege to, to teach but it's also a challenge. And I think anybody that opens the Word knows that. And, and again, thank you. Well, before we get into our study, and I was reminded this last weekend, Charles Swindoll, I don't know if anybody's heard of him, but he's on the radio quite a bit. And his doctor sent him a list. How do you know when you're growing old? And I was reminded again, about three weeks ago, I think we all... Carol and my oldest son and I had probably COVID and now we're in the after effects of feeling weak and all and part of feeling weak is to know I guess I'm getting older too so when you get COVID the older you are the more after effects you might have so I was just reminded of this list I pulled it out this morning to know that I'm getting older I turned 70 last month everything hurts what doesn't hurt doesn't work believe that your mind makes contracts your body can't meet you want to do something but hard to do it you sit in a rocking chair can't get it going your knees buckle and your belt won't your back goes out more than you do I believe that one you're asleep but others worry that you're dead (laughs) that happens to me in the evening sometimes And this one really got me. You constantly talk about the price of gasoline. (laughs) Well, we've been really tested with that. People call at 9 p.m. and ask, did I wake you? (laughs) Your ears are hairier than your head. (laughs) And this last one, when you bend over, you look for something else to do while you're down there. (laughs) Well... I was reminded of that. And I thought 70, well, it's this far. God's got me this far. So, Well, idolatry is defined by Noah Webster and others as a worship of someone or something other than God as though it was God. Anything that you love, treasure, prioritize, identify with, or look to for need fulfillment outside of God can be acting as an idol. 
The Bible warns us in Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Often we tell ourselves idolatry, that was a problem in the Old Testament. We remember Exodus 32 when Moses was delayed coming down the mountain to share the Ten Commandments. The people of Israel worshipped a golden calf. Further, we recall that Solomon had so many wives and concubines that they all brought their foreign idols into the palace and influenced his children to worship other images instead of the true God in 1 Kings 11. We tend to think idolatry was something in the past and not something that goes on today. Idolatry is described many ways in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 7.25, it's an abomination. You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it. For it's an abomination to the Lord your God. The New Testament is full of warnings about idolatry. 1 Peter 4.3 For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. 1 Corinthians 10.14 Flee from idolatry. However, believe it or not, there's lots of idolatry here in America. There's a few idols that are around. TV shows like American Idol can be an idol, right? Got to get home to watch it. Don't want to miss one. Got to make sure I can pick up the, that one that I missed last week. Our material things like electric cars. I know with the gasoline prices going through the roof, how many people have thought, well, how much is an electric car? Is that really better? Is that better than gasoline? Or Here's one, Florida Lotto. You ever go into like Publix or a gas station and you see a line of people getting another lotto chance? Can I win that 20 million or whatever it is as it goes up and down? You know, that can be an idol. I know there's some people that have used their money to get more and more of the lotto and they don't even have food to eat. But they're getting it because they want to be that one person that's going to win. Self can be an idol where we put that before God, just to name a few. Romans 1 shares that when man knew God, he glorified him not as God. And we have the warning in Romans 1 beginning verse 18 to 23 of Man turning their backs on the Creator and starting to worship the creation. Well, this morning, God has directed me to a story in His Word that centers on three prisoners of war whose faith is tested as to whether God is first in their lives or some idol that is set before them to replace God. Join me in Daniel 3. Daniel's my favorite Old Testament book. I love the story of Daniel, a man who at a young age was taken as a captive, I, I say a prisoner of war, along with other young men, including these three that our story is about this morning. This morning we're going to, to look at Daniel 3, and we're going to find three characteristics of faith that will get us through life's fires. 
including the temptation to replace God with an idol. Let's uh, bow in a word of prayer before we look at God's word. Father God, we thank you this morning that you're on the throne. We thank you, Lord, that there's not one thing that causes you to have to change your plan for us, Lord, that you have a plan. You have everything working out for your good, which is our good. Sometimes, Lord, we don't understand why, but Lord, we need to trust you. And we pray as we look at Daniel chapter 3 this morning, we'll be renewed in our minds, Lord, that you're still in control when everything looks like it's gone haywire. We live in a world of chaos, Lord, but you're our God. You're the one who chose us and saved us and keeps us. And I pray we'd be reminded of the faith of these three men that's displayed and recorded in your word to encourage us that when something seems to be replacing you in our lives, we would turn back to you as being first in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing and will do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before looking at these three characteristics, we need to understand what's going on with these three prisoners of war. Anybody remember their name? Shadrach? Meshach and Abednego. We've all kind of heard that story as children, heard it often, good reminders. But these men in Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel, they were taken captive and they're carted off to Babylon. It says there in Daniel 1.1, it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So during this attack, during this takeover, these three men and Daniel and some others were all taken to Babylon to be brainwashed into what that country wanted out of them. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and its challenges and with a death threat over Daniel and his three friends, God gives Daniel the answer the king wanted and the results are recorded where it says there, chapter 2, beginning at verse 46. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, and this is after Daniel told him what his dream was and what it meant. King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. So God was really working through these men as a testimony to the king and all of Babylon by what they had already gone through. But now, you ever have things kind of going pretty good and then all of a sudden you come around that corner and man, 
something hits you and you say, wow, I didn't see that coming. Anybody else ever had that happen? Maybe many times a day at times. But you know, those are all opportunities to trust in the Lord. And those are hard times. And I know it says throughout Scripture at times, we're to thank God for the trials. Do we do that? When things are the chaotic, we say, Lord, thank you for bringing this into my life. Well, you know, sometimes, and I know in my own life, God's just trying to get our attention. We're looking over here and we're saying, wow, I'm concentrating on this. And the Lord's saying, here, I'm showing you all this, but you're looking over here. I need your attention. And He'll do what He needs to do to get that. And I know that that's happened in my life many times. But I'm most thankful God is patient. God is faithful. God is merciful. If we ever got what we deserve, we wouldn't be around, would we? <laughs> but praise God, He's patient with us. He's teaching us. We just have to be watching for those opportunities. Beginning of verses 1 to 3, we see a situation coming up with these three men. Remember, they've just been appointed, the end of chapter 2, to a high place under the king. But beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nebuchadnezzar, the world leader that time, makes a huge image of himself. And what did we just read at the end of chapter 2? Where he was given the praise and he fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and talked about the king of kings. And here he is. We get to chapter 3 and he's setting up his own image. Putting it on the plains of Dura, which is about six miles southeast of Babylon. And it's on a flat plain where everyone can see it at a distance. And remember that dream back in chapter 2, the king saw himself as the head of gold. And he wanted all those under him to remember, I'm in charge. I'm the one everybody should look to. Verses 2 and 3, the ceremony is ready to begin. Everyone's standing before the king. The officials are listed in descending order. And it's interesting what John MacArthur writes about this whole situation. I got a chuckle out of it. He shares this about this situation. There they all are, all the great princes, governors, captains, like a bunch of rubber ducks, all ready to quack the same way. No integrity, no character, no nothing. <laughs> he had a way of uh, putting it, but here they all are lined up. So now we look to verses 4 and 5 and the command to worship the idol is given. It says there beginning of verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed 
To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, all kinds of music, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. So the town crier of Babylon shares the command from the king, and that command in the, his day, Nebuchadnezzar's day, was an edict. It was a mandate. No room to compromise or no exceptions. No supreme court that you could appeal to. He was absolute ruler. And what he said stood. So the command to fall down and worship his idols speaks of falling prostrate to the ground and do homage. The idol of the king represented all that King Nebuchadnezzar stood for as an absolute ruler. History tells us Nebuchadnezzar didn't allow for appeals to his commands. If you disobeyed, you died. That was it. We know that there are many that have died over the years as martyrs. Hebrews 11.36 remind us others had trials of mockings and scourgings and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, tormented. We know that has gone on. We know missionaries who have died on the mission field standing up because God called him to be there. But now we know with this king, he's got his golden idols set up. He said, here's what the order is, but I'm going to tell you if you don't obey, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen beginning of verse 6. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, sultry, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the consequences are immediate execution. If you don't want to do what I tell you to do, you're going to die. One commentator suggests that the furnace must have been similar to our common lime kiln with the up and down shaft from the top and opening at the bottom to extract the used up lime. History tells us the Persian Empire used similar ovens for executing criminals. Likely the furnace wasn't always burning, but it's ready to burn if there were those worthy of public execution. The question is often asked, where was Daniel? Well, he being an ambassador for the king was likely out of the country on Babylonian business when all this was taking place. Otherwise, he would have been with these three men facing the same dilemma they would face. Verse 7, the ceremony begins with the king's band of instruments playing and the people bowed down before the great idol golden idol the king had set up. Worship means they fell down, implying they adored the idol, the golden idol. So it was set up, the command was given, and the ceremony with threat of death goes on. The stage and situation is set up as they are facing a literal fire as their faith is tested. 
Now we come to the three characteristics of faith that will get us through the fires of life, including idolatry. That first characteristic of the faith needed to get us through is a consistent faith in God. A consistent faith in God. Look with me beginning at verse 8. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There comes the accusation. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. That word accused here, and they're being accused, these three men, means literally to eat the pieces of an animal who would strip the tissue off a body and consume it. These Chaldeans, they were jealous, weren't they, of these three men? Because what happened at the end of chapter 2? They were promoted. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, but were they? No, they weren't included. Daniel, later on in Daniel 6, would be a victim of that jealousy when he was thrown into what? Remember? Den of lions. And I think it's good to pause here a little word about jealousy. Jealousy led to the murder of Abel by Cain in Genesis 4. It led to Saul trying to kill David with a spear in 1 Samuel 18. In verse 9, the Chaldeans tell the king, we're committed to you, unlike these foreign prisoners of war who believe in the true God. And I'm sure they were thinking they were promoted over us. When we got to verses 10 and 11, that's repeating verses 4 to 6, remind the king of his decree that he had already made. And then verse 12, that accusation comes, and they're accused of two things. First, that they had not paid due regard to the king. That's not true. Because they were in attendance in the proper attire. They came. But secondly, they were accused of not bowing to the 90-foot idol of the king. And that accusation was true. Faith in God is easy, isn't it, when it's all going well? But the true test comes when the fires of life come, and they will come. Consistent faith tells us that when the trials come, that we will continue to trust God. We're reminded to keep consistent in our faith. We sing a Christian song that's called, Trust in You. We sing that. Letting go of every single dream, I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my wondering never changes what you see. I've tried to win this war, I confess. My hands are weary, I need your rest. Mighty warrior, king of the fight, no matter what I face, you're by my side. We need to know that, don't we? 
That when those fires come, that God is there. God has not abandoned us. God loves us. God will walk with us no matter what happens in our lives. These men displayed a consistent faith like Elijah in 1 Kings 18 when he had that encounter with the Baal worshippers. Or Elisha in 2 Kings 6 when his assistant feared the enemy and then he prayed and said, let my assistant see God's army. And he looked again and he saw God's army in the mountains. Do we ever need to see that? Do we have guardian angels? Do we have God send people our way to encourage us to keep going when we feel like quitting? All the time, doesn't it? God's watching out for us. Joshua, when he faced the walls of Jericho, saw those big walls, he didn't say, okay, now let me figure it out. He pleaded with God, what do I do? And God told him. And he followed God's plans and did the walls come down? Yes, they did. Because God did it. How consistent is our faith? There's many at Lakeside who have continued to show a strong faith despite strong opposition on the mission field or through extreme health issues. Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 say what? Be anxious for what? Nothing but in everything. We have to bring it all to the Lord. And the Lord says, I can handle it. Nothing takes me by surprise. I'm with you. I love you. I won't let go of you. So that first characteristic of these men is showing a consistent faith in God, which we need. The second characteristic of the faith we need to get through the fires of life, we need a courageous faith. A courageous faith. As we continue... Verses 13 to 23. Let's pick it up at verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Was Nebuchadnezzar happy when he heard that report? He is steaming mad. He's in rage, out of control, blood pressure high. He's probably beat red. But you know what he does here? He gives them a second chance. He don't do that. Usually they die immediately when the king says something and they don't obey. The king wants them to reconsider their practice of worshiping their one true God and worship His God, His idol. And then we know the question comes here, who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And we know the answer, don't we? Who is it? The true God. Now we come to the courageous faith of these men, beginning of verse 16. 
And I love these verses. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I got to thinking, what kind of courage did that take? To speak to the supreme ruler at that time of the world and they didn't have to think about it they didn't have to discuss it they didn't have to say let's have a meeting let's have a vote but these men admit their guilt they did not worship the idol and even if they're going to to die they know God can deliver them but even if God chooses not to they still were not going to disobey God and worship this idol. John MacArthur shares, they had been taught the Word of God and they knew they were to respond in a certain manner based on the truth of God. They would not compromise that no matter what the external pressures were, what virtue. And it wasn't dependent on whether or not they got their miracle. They would accept God's will even if it meant death rather than be idolatrous. They laid it on the line. Remember what Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him? Like Abraham, when asked to kill his only son in Genesis 22, had faith that God would raise Isaac from the dead. I was encouraged as I was working on this message. An in Inmate, her name is Elena Abner. She's in Lowell Correctional Institution in Ocala. She wrote this, Never Give Up. And we need to remember, never give up. When struggles come your way and the tears you cannot hide, just know you're not alone. Jesus is always by your side. Sometimes we don't know why we go through the things we do, but always keep your faith in God because He will see you through. Hard times don't last forever. There's a rainbow after the rain. Our Savior loves us no matter what, and He'll take away the pain. Keep fighting the good fight of faith, and pick your head up high. The next time you look up, you can see a rainbow in the sky. So even though it's hard sometimes, remember you're not alone. Jesus is with you always and forever, and He's coming back to take us home. That's encouraging to me. Because I could relate to all that. She was relating that to us to encourage us, even though she's behind bars. These three POWs were living out, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Courageous faith helps us in the fire. Look at verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar, was filled with wrath and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat up the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. So Nebuchadnezzar, he calmly responds to these men after they gave their answer of their courageous faith. His anger is boiling over. 
His face gets redder and distorted. And he makes a stupid decision. Why? What was stupid about his decision? Heating up the furnace seven times. Is that going to make him suffer more? No. If you want him to suffer more, you turn it down more, wouldn't you? So that they would be burning up slower. But he doesn't think clearly. And I think there's a good lesson there. Do we make good decisions when we're angry? Usually not, do we? Because we don't think clearly. Look at all the incidents that come up around us about road rage. Somebody cut you off, somebody stopped in the middle of the road and you almost hit them and someone almost hit you. Domestic violence is depicted on shows like Cops. <laughs> Anybody else ever watch that? Cops? Now they have one called Jail. Anger. Or even like my granddaughter told me months ago, I made the mistake of calling some a careless driver on Keen Road stupid. And she said, Pop up, you don't call him stupid. <laughs> granddaughter, keep me in line. Look with me as we read on to verse 20. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers or coats or caps, their other clothes, and were cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. The king, it's likely his bodyguards, he had them take the three men up to the top of the furnace and throw them in the opening. And it was so hot that they died. They were burned up as these three men were thrown in. It says there, beginning of verse 22, For this reason, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the fire, a blazing fire still tied up. These believers who have already shown courageous faith to stand firm with the shield of faith held high are literally tested by fire. But God, God will always walk with us through the fires of life. Whether it's our health, whether it's mental health, having our lives threatened with a gun in places like Africa, He will walk with us. Is that good to know? Do we need to know that? Now we come to the third and final characteristic of the faith we need. Beginning of verse 24. And that is we need a confident faith. A confident faith. Because our future is guaranteed in the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Where are we going to spend eternity? For how long? Forever. We read beginning of verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded, stood up in haste, he and his high officials. Was it not three men we cast in the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loose and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God. Come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. Despite the king's rage and anger, he now stood up as he sees four, not three, in the furnace. The king thinks the fourth figure looks like the son of the gods. He recognized that fourth person as supernatural, like an angel. Now was this fourth, the pre-incarnate Christ, or an angel? We don't know. But the point is that God sent this fourth being to preserve these three men who laid their faith on the line. The king says, come out. Calls them by name. Come here. And they walk out of the furnace. I don't know if I'd have been in that crowd. That's, <laughs> be saying, what is going on here? Wouldn't you? The king here, he's, he's in shock. He sees that fourth person, fourth figure in the fire. But then we read what happens when they came out and stood before the king. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's high officials gathered around, saw in regard to those men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. So when they come out, these jealous Chaldeans included, who hated these men and wanted them dead, and they examined Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't even have the smell of smoke. None of their clothes were singed. Anything that showed they had been in a fiery furnace. And who gets the credit for that? God does. So now we see at verse 28, we see the response. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, another opportunity to see God at work in the lives of these men. And so now the king not only is overwhelmed, but it says that he's going to make a new decree. He had the earlier one about if they didn't worship, they'd be thrown in a fiery furnace. He's going to make a new one in verse 29. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap Inasmuch there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. He saw firsthand God at work, didn't he? Because of their faithful trust in God. Those who oppose them would be cut into pieces and their houses destroyed. John MacArthur shares, Nebuchadnezzar is determined, and I like this, that he's going to be nice to this God because if Ever he wanted anything, he wants this God on his side. He doesn't want to be on the other side. So instead of death, it says according to verse 30, something else happened. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. They prospered. 
in this foreign land as prisoners of war because they showed their faith in God to be real and it was tested by fire. But God got the glory, didn't He? So how do we handle the fires of life? Three believers who were POWs were confronted by a golden idol to replace their God and commanded to worship. But it says, according to their faith, his faith, these men's faith were consistent, they were courageous, and they were confident. Our faith must focus on God alone, not on anything else. Are we willing to put it all on line, on the line for God? Why did God deliver them? So God alone would get the glory that He deserves. Does God deserve the glory? Should we be praising Him every day when He wakes us up on, on this earth? We have a purpose here when He wakes us up in the morning. Someday we're going to wake up, I believe, we'll be in heaven. And that'll be glorious. But in the meantime, God says, I need you here on this earth. I got a purpose for you. Don't ever think you don't have a purpose. You do. And God knows what it is and He will use you where you are. And I just want to encourage you with this. Yesterday I had two opportunities to witness that I didn't see coming. And I'm, I'm overwhelmed. One was our mechanic. I was able to to share with him for an hour, he just opened up. It's God. Another one was a neighbor across the street I don't see very often, stopped and started talking. God does that. You know, he has divine appointments for everyone here, but we got to be looking for him. We got to be ready with an answer. And who is our answer? Jesus alone, as it was here with these men. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They could have caved in. They could have worshipped the idol, Lord, but they stayed true to you. Their faith was strong. I pray, Father God, you would make our faith strong. We fail so often, Lord, but thank you you don't give up on us. You don't throw in the towel. Help us this week, Lord, to see the opportunities that you put before us to witness, to share, sometimes, Lord, just to listen to people because we don't want anybody going to hell. We want them all to be saved. We know it won't happen, but that's our hope, Lord. That's our hope because we have that hope and help us to, to be reminded of that. Give us a good week, Lord. Use us for your honor and glory. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Lord bless you. Have a great week.